This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by the Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to thebeanbastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to the Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John. This episode's guest is Vicky from The Agonist, whose latest EP, Days Before the World Wept, is out now via Napalm Records. Uh, This was a really fun chat, and I first and foremost want to give a huge shout-out to Napalm Records. Um, Consistently, whenever I have someone that is on their roster of bands, I love the fact that they are able to get me something, especially when talking to a vocalist, that makes... It's so much easier to to have the conversation with them, and that is providing the lyrics. Um, that is something that when I talk to vocalists, you know, before an album comes out, that it's it's sort of a struggle because I don't always get those things. And it's not you know saying that any other label is is bad or, or worse because of that. It's just something I've noticed that in my times of dealing with Napalm, they're always on top of everything because they they have everything that I could want. They have all the promo photos that are going to be in there. They have the lyrics, they have, you know, the little interviews with everyone in the EPKs and stuff like that. They are just, it's, it's so great. And it makes this so much easier. And as a result, I feel like it was really something that helped me find something that I was trying to take away from when listening to the new EP was, you know, one of the lyrics and the themes kind of presented in the new EP was talking about, you know, time and our mortality and how, you know, the shifting in perspectives as, as we get older and, and our own lives and taking ownership of our lives versus letting life just happen at us. And that's something that having just had a birthday when I talked to Vicky was so at the forefront of my mind that I just, I couldn't not talk about it. And I think the thing that's interesting about it is you know, and something that she touches on in one of the other songs and we touch on in the, in the chat as well is just this, this concept of, you know, people seemingly kind of pissing away their time and not realizing how finite it is until basically your, your, your due date of something, the end of your life or the, when you need to get something done and then you're just rushing and all you want at that point is all the time you fucked away. 
And to me, that's that's just so profound. And I, and I feel like that's something that I think all of us struggle with. But the people who are, I, f- I feel like the happiest and most successful understand that that is, that time is one of the most valuable things you have. And it's very finite. And you need to kind of learn to live within the, the means of what you have uh, and make the most of it. So that was a really great talking point uh, to me and something I found so interesting. And again, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily would have been able to kind of pick up on that so quickly had I not gotten uh, the lyrics uh, from Napalm and, and the lovely publicist. Um, so all of that aside, let's get into my conversation with Vicky. This is a really great one, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So let's get into it, and I'll talk to you all on the other side of it. So where are you? Because I know like some of your socials say like Chicago, Athens, yeah. and somewhere else I'm blanking on off the top of my head. Montreal, but uh, Montreal, I'm that's chi- it. I'm in Chicago now. So uh, probably not much of a sports fan, but potentially are you at least following up with uh, the White Sox right now and making a push against the uh, Houston Astros? Nope, not at all. No, <laughs> no. Fair enough. <laughs> I just saw that the game was on when I was uh, logging into stuff, and uh, uh, so it's kind of funny to – Having like I so like when I went to the Kanye West Donda event uh, in Chicago about two months ago at this point, um, it was just funny because it's like sport like football wasn't going on, sports really wasn't happening in Chicago, but it was just kind of interesting to think about. It's like all right, like we here in the Midwest are kind of slowly kind of getting back to to normal here in you know post pandemic or still in the pandemic, but it was just kind of interesting to see Chicago downtown so alive with like the buzz of the Kanye West show and like all this kind of stuff and talking about it and just seeing like street performers out and and vendors and just kind of the city being alive with like something to be excited about. And so it's kind of one of those, like since I, you know, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so I'm not close to necessarily a big sports town or a big entertainment area. But just to kind of see Chicago get alive like that again kind of had me excited where I'm like, man, it probably hasn't been like this in so long. So, you know, it's funny to think about those that maybe aren't fans of music or aren't sports fans, like kind of having to get reacclimated to like, oh, yeah, the fucking teams in the playoffs or this is okay. (laughs) Like, how do I have to change my life again now that I haven't had to deal with this for almost two years? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's. I follow some sports. Uh, some I'm more interested than others. Baseball, just like, eh, I don't know. Never was really into it. I like basketball, hockey, mm. more so. Hockey yeah. just started today. Actually, it starts today, doesn't it? Or was it yesterday? I don't know. I usually <laughs> like get into it towards the end. Okay, you know? during the playoff runs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, basketball's getting ready to start. This is like the prime time for me with sports because it's like basketball's getting ready to start baseball uh well at least my team's in the playoffs right now uh so i still got a little bit of that hockey's getting ready to start and football's in like kind of mid-swing so it's like you got a little bit of everything uh which when working at a bar like i do makes your nights go by a little bit faster instead of being like there's absolutely fucking nothing on and watching people just get progressively more drunk is not fun either yeah (laughs) i hear you so i don't really 
do like an interviewee kind of thing. It's more just yeah. kind of a natural conversation. But there is something about the new EP that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. And for those to do the plug, uh, the new EP, uh, Days Before the World Wept. Um, there is a line in uh, Immaculate Deep. I get it right? Immaculate deception. Mm-hmm. Um, and the line was, would you train an arm and a leg for the promise of time? Mm-hmm. And time is something that I get very weirdly fascinated by, especially as I get older, like I just turned 37. So there's this thing where I feel like in light of us all kind of having a pause reset over the last year and a half, mm-hmm. that I feel like that's a really interesting concept of, you know, we seem to kind of piss away the time that we inherently have, but then, when we don't have it, that's when we yeah. want it the most. Yeah. Um, kind of talk to me a little bit about that line. Then how did it kind of come to you and maybe what it means to you? Yeah. So the whole EP is based on the concept a little bit of time. And it starts, it kind of starts like it starts with remnants in time with a person literally like at the brink of death. And like you just said, like spot on, that's when it hits you that you want more time. You want to live a little bit longer. And um, that theme is recurring in the rest of the songs as well. So really, like, I feel like it's a little bit of an oxymoron, that line there. Would you trade an an arm and a leg for the promise of time? Because I feel like people already go a little bit to extraordinary lengths to, like, look younger. Or Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say feel younger, just look younger. (laughs) You know, like, altering... Um, different surgeries and like, you know, well, plastic surgery is like really, really popular nowadays. Like in some cases, you can't even tell that someone's done something. Um, And it's just this like whole concept of like the elixir of youth and and, and so on and so on, which I, I always found perhaps when I was younger, like you said, you don't really think about it too much because you're like, yeah, I'm young. And then after the age, the age of 30, it starts like every year just keeps going and going and going and going and you don't even realize it. But yet at the same time, I feel like I'm 33, by the way. Um, I feel like I, I don't know. I feel like you should celebrate life no matter what age you are. Find like what is it in my 30s that's better than my 20s and what is it in my 40s that's better than my 20s you know and stick to that and live life to the fullest because I don't think there's like one age gap or one age group that's like superior to all others I think there's something positive to find in everything and just like live life to your fullest so a lot of times I write my lyrics in a way where it's like I'm kind of mocking it or I'm kind of frowning upon it um, but it seems to be a hot topic. (laughs) So I like mentioning it. I like talking about it. Well, there's a couple of different talking points to that. And, you know, one of them was actually brought up on a different chat I was doing. And I thought it was so, so profound, kind of just the, the simplicity of the statement, which was, and I I wish I could remember who said it, but like, sometimes you do a handful of these and you just forget it all crams together. But, you know, someone was saying like, you know, when you're celebrating, you know, your first birthday or whatever, you know, that's, a few months is only like a part of your one. But then like when you get to like 30, we'll say, and you're celebrating like 31, well, that's one 30th of your life basically. And so the, the fraction basically at that point is completely shifted into how you would look at time at at that point. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those where something, you know, and the kind of construct that I kind of took away from it was almost like, you know, 
maybe instead of kind of looking at it like this is one thirtieth of my life or one thirty seventh of my life, almost kind of apply the same prism of the like this is one twelfth of my year or whatever. Where you, then you kind of go, all right, I'm not going to stress about that because it's only like this little bit, but I'm actually going to be more in the moment and enjoy what I have. And you know, as you were just kind of saying, you know, having and I'll prose this to you. I grew up always thinking when I turned 30, because it was such a landmark time that you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. You start thinking instead of in year, like you start thinking in five years, I want to do this. And then at 35 and then at 35 to 40, and you start looking at your life kind of in, in these half uh, decades kind of. Yeah. Did that kind of happen to you and kind of a, a shift sort of happened to you when you turned 30 versus even turning 25? Yeah, I think when you turn 25, it's like usually like at least in this day and age or five years ago or seven years, eight years ago for me. Geez, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's still the same thing, though. Like 25 is kind of like it's your quarter life period where you're like, OK, I got to start being serious, you know, no more partying or, you know, not every single weekend going out, out to drink and party and stuff like that and like start getting a little serious with your life. Whereas I feel like 30 is that milestone where people are like, okay, do I have savings? You know, am I living <laughs> paycheck to paycheck? Do I have a job that I've been with like a steady job that's paying? Do I have a significant other? Am I married? Am I on my way to kids? Like all these big questions start becoming even bigger. And that shift just happens from 25 to 30. Whereas I feel like from 30 to 35, it's not that big of a, a no. difference because you're already in the big three zero right um for myself i i wouldn't say that i had all these questions that hit me at the age of 30 however i did have the big the big one that hit me was regarding music mm. i felt like am i doing what i want to be doing in music right now and am i doing the most that i can possibly do because for me, doing music was always like, I want this to be a full-time thing. I don't want to become one of those people where I'm 40, 50, I have kids, and music is just this hobby that I do, you know, um, when my day job permits it or, and my personal life permits it. So I, I really wanted, like, I've been, I've been striving for this my entire life to just, like, make music my full-time thing. And when I hit 30, that was the, the biggest, like, wake-up call that, like, you know what? You should be doing more. You can be doing more, so you should be doing more. Well, I think that that kind of comes at 30 is like the, almost this this past or shucking, I should say, really shucking of blaming so many others or outside circumstances for the things that either you're not doing or have happened mm -hmm. to you versus yeah. then you looking inward and going, no, motherfucker. Like, like <laughs> one of my yeah. favorite stories to tell is like, you know, I had a friend who I have many friends who would constantly blame like jobs not happening, relationships that failed, and it would be, you know, well, they're they never going to find someone like me yeah. or, you know, if a failed relationship and it's like, oh, that person's crazy. And one day I was just like, you ever notice you're the only constant in any of these things? <laughs> like at some point you have to look inward and go, what the fuck am I doing wrong or mm -hmm. not providing and how do I fix it? Like to just yeah. not take any ownership is, is bullshit. Like there's yeah. no room to grow as a person at that point. So how yeah. do you just live your life? not taking any ownership. And, and to me, like that, I think has been one of the biggest things getting older is that I realize like there are 
there are extenuating circumstances of why things don't happen the way you want to, but then you have to look inward and figure out a way how to either take ownership of it and grow and move on. And I feel like as a musician, like, like definitely, I feel like that's gotta be a thing for you. Like where it's almost, instead of you could look down on and be like, well, I'm not doing the things I want to do. You can go, but look at all I have done. And maybe I now have opportunities to progress and do something else that I would like to do as well. Yeah. Is there a little bit of that that kind of has, has happened? For sure. Like for me, there's, there's two big things that I realized, maybe not exactly when I turned 30, but let's just say over the last few years that a, the world doesn't owe you anything. And I think a lot of musicians that are very good at what they do and have worked very hard. So it's like combination of talent and hard work to become like really good at their instruments. They kind of get the sense that like, you know what, I'm in the top 1% of the world. I'm better at guitar or at singing or whatever than most of these people out there. Therefore, I should be recognized. And it doesn't work that way because, first of all, not everyone is able to acknowledge and understand that you're you're in that 1%. You kind of have to force feed it to them. You kind of have to go out there and be like, you know what? I am really good at what I do. And I'm going to claim, you know, my title or my spot or whatever um, because it's not just about being good. Like there's always going to be someone better than you. There's always going to be someone worse than you. It's really about what you're doing, what your output is. And are you connecting with people? Cause fans not only want to like watch the musicians that they like before their music, they want to connect with the person as well. And in this day and age, like social media is like super important for that. And for my for myself, I struggle with that a little bit because like I always found social media a little bit like, oh man, I have to wake up and post again today. Like, oh, you gotta post every day to keep the algorithm going to pop up in people's searches so they can find you. And I'm like, can I just make music like and not have to deal with these things? But it's like, no, now you have to deal with these things. And you have to work 10 times harder even when you are that good. So that was the the one thing that like really hit me that like, you know what, Vicky, the world doesn't owe you anything. If you think that you're better than 99% of the other people out there doing this thing, you got to work even harder, not even less. So that was one. And um, I almost forgot what the second one was now (laughs) because I just went on babbling over there. Um, uh, What were we saying? Realization... Music, kind of uh, just kind of looking inward and taking ownership inward. of your own, yeah, right. And that too, like, like there are circumstances that sometimes work against you and obstacles. Like, how many of us just have these days where you wake up and everything is going wrong and you just get bad news after bad news after bad news, but you gotta like not take that personally. Um, because more, mo- a lot of people like fall into that trap where they're like. Oh, why is this happening to me? And it's like, it's happening to everyone and it's not in your control. What is in your control is how you're going to deal with it. And the last few years, like I've had, you know, bad things thrown at me, like bad news from bandmates or whatever, that something happened. Um, like, oh, there's a problem with the music video, you know? And like, I'd find out and, you know, like my, my bassist Kells that does the music, our, our music videos, he's like expected you to be more pissed. And I'm like, Oh, I'm very pissed, but if I start yelling, that doesn't solve the problem. I'm like, I went past that. Let's go into problem solving mode. Let's fix this and let's move on. <laughs> so, yes, those were my two points. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because, like, 
it took me up until probably about eight months ago going to therapy to have the tools to deal with that. Like something that I was always bad with. And it's funny. You said having things happen to you because we are the star of our own movies. Everything happens at us to us, whatever. And it wasn't until my therapist at the time was just like, well, did you ever think that like maybe these things aren't happening to you, but they're just happening around you. And you happen to like in the very specific situation, I was like, you know, this thing happened and I kept going, why me? Why am I always the one that this people come to with this? So on and so forth. And she was Mm like, well, maybe you're not, maybe you're one of many people that this person came to or that these people come to for these situations. And I was like, Oh, and then she was like, but it's in our nature to assume that we're the only one. And I was like, fuck, I'm really (laughs) egotistical in that sense. And I guess we (laughs) as people are, but it was just so interesting to just kind of get that little piece of advice or that little piece of, just something, a different perspective on something and just how it completely has changed my thought perspective. And even, you know, you were saying like with the music video, you know, something I had a problem with was doing a lot like, you know, cognitive therapy behavior, basically, where it's like, I would address problems that haven't even happened. And I would wallow in them. And then she'd be like, why do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know, because I want to be prepared. She goes, but like, you just came up with eight different scenarios and eight different problems and how to solve them. But only one of them is the actual thing you need to deal with. Yeah. And it was one of the, again, like one of those, like where I was like, huh. And now like I had a very stressful situation a couple of days ago, my car literally broke down in the middle of downtown on the busiest road we had. And instead of going, Oh shit, what the fuck? Like I just go, okay, what can I handle right now? Need to call a cop. It's literally across the street from me. Get someone behind me, call a tow truck. All right. Then we do that. Then we just wait, like deal with what's in front of you and move forward. And mm-hmm. by doing that, it's so funny how so much of the unnecessary stress just gets taken off of you. Yeah. So the fact that you are already there, I'm like, oh, you're four years ahead of where I was. So like, <laughs> isn't it so much better that you can at least go, I am pissed and I'm not yeah. stoked on this, but let's just focus on what we can do and move forward. And I feel like you could probably apply that to so many different things that you have have going on in your life. Yeah. So like number one. Um, and this is something a lot of people don't realize is that what goes on in your brain or like, you know, what we call mental health or mm-hmm. stress or all this really does affect you physically. It affects your body. And if you're thinking, like you said, eight different scenarios, what am I going to do this and that your brain is going into like, it's overclocking basically. And your body starts shutting down and you feel exhausted every single day. And you're like, but why am I exhausted? I didn't really do anything. Well, Mm -hmm. you did. You were overworking your brain. (laughs) And people don't realize that. And I have gone through periods of my life where I felt sick physically without being sick. Just because of thinking of all these bad things that have happened or may happen or, you know, the what ifs and all that stuff. So that's something a lot of people don't realize, A. And um, B., uh, again, why do I do this? I go off on one thing and I forget the second point I was going to make. <laughs> Happens all the time. It's the best part of a podcast is there's not tentatively a time limit. So you oh. can kind of circle back to, to things yeah. that you think of. It. I love podcasts for that reason that you can just start babbling and babbling. And <laughs> it's, it's like, wh- wait, what was the question? You know? Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. And, you know, I, I, like, I've never had therapy myself. It's funny when I, like, have, like, 
vocal lessons, for example, sometimes I talk to my students and they're like, oh, it's like I'm paying you for a vocal lesson and a therapy session. Um, and oh, okay. I wasn't thinking of this, but this is an interesting thing that I came up with as well that I realized that singing and vocals in general performing is like 90% mental. Mm. Like if you're feeling like crap in your head and you think you suck and you're scared that you might fail and you're not going to do it, you're not going to sound good. Like you can't go on stage and sound confident and nail and hit the notes and all this. If you have all this like self doubt and all these issues in your head, like it's 90% mental and you have to like envision yourself doing it and being good for you to actually become good. Um, and this is something I realized like a few longer, even longer ago, because I was always like a shy, introverted person. And I always felt like I could do better and I could be better. And it was affecting my performance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it is that that did it for me, that I had to like, that helped me overcome a lot of these like mental issues that it's like, this is an obstacle. And if you don't change the way you think or the way you deal with your thoughts because you can't control your thoughts but you can control how you react mm. and how you act with them um you're not going to be a great vocalist you're not going to be a great performer if you keep going down this path of like self-doubt and this and being shy and awkward and whatever so it's like i'm still that person but i just don't let my thoughts and my overthinking and all that like trip me moving forward it's kind of funny you say that something and this is going to sort of sound cliche during probably part of the question because I'm literally working my way through it. But you kind of touched on something where, you know, talking about vocalizing and how a lot of, you know, being a front person of a band, it's sort of it's it's I don't want to call it performance art, but it sort of is. It's also like mm -hmm. you said, it's it's a mentality. You have to go in there going like, I'm going to fucking kill it. Like, yeah. because if you don't think you, if you don't believe it and don't exude it, then people aren't going to be either. And they're going to tell, yeah. like, they can smell that a, a mile away. Yeah. And something, you know, interestingly enough, you know, Doc Coyle and I had kind of talked about this. It, we always get on the, the topic of social media typically. And just because it's, it's an interesting talking point in the sense of we don't know what it's going to do to people. But what we can kind of talk about is sort of the case study of having to be on 24 hours. What do you present to everybody and how do you you know, how do you live? Like, you know, some people are like, you never see anyone have a bad day. Like some people are just, that's how they curate their lives. Yeah. Some people are very honest about things. And I think it opens them to be, have more fans or more followers and so forth, because there's that genuine, that genuineness of that, uh, that experience yeah. of seeing someone else going through the same things you are now, adversely, we've kind of put that same prism onto, you know, the music industry, like, you know, talking about when Doc was coming up with God forbid, the internet didn't really exist. So it was one thing to kind of come up and just make your, your band name known and make you known as a performer on the merits of just, are you a good musician? Can you play really good live? Do people like, yeah. yes, now there's so many more facets and we were kind of talking about it possibly being harder because now you have to like show up on Spotify playlists and do all this other stuff. Yeah. You know, I know you're not tremendously younger than either of us, but I feel like you potentially would have kind of gone through that a little bit differently than either of us. And we're men going through it where it's like sick riffs, cool tattoos, whatever the fuck. Like there's yeah. not even the expectation of like, well, you have to perform up to, and especially filling in as for a different vocalist, yeah. you have to hit these marks that people want. Like did that cause some maybe questions about your own 
self-confidence of, of can you do it and to what ability yeah. having to do like grow up in that kind of time frame of dealing with people the vocal minority online um i will say for me it was never a question of my confidence like i said i always knew i was good mm-hmm. um my self-doubts go with like being a perfectionist like i know mm-hmm. i can be better but i never once thought that i wasn't good enough okay um which is I think a blessing because I think it's absolutely like crippling to be amazing at something (laughs) and think that you're not, you know? Um, So I don't have that disillusion. Like I always knew I was good. Um, If anything, I felt that other people didn't know I was that good. I'm not, not listening to you. I just came up with something and I want to make a note of it real quick before I forget. So I'm not like completely. No, no, it's all good. And and this is going to probably take me some time to answer anyways. Sorry for so, the long-winded question. Uh, hmm? Yeah, there we go. That's the best way I can okay, describe perfect. my question. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. So, Sorry. Yes, I always knew I was good. My issues were like, why aren't other people seeing how good I am? Mm. And I think I was just not showing them that. And, you know, like I put up covers and people are like, oh, my God, I didn't know Vicky could do this as well or or like some people are like, it's amazing how much her voice has grown this last year. And it's like, yes and no, because some of these things, like I've been capable of doing them like for many years, I just didn't have the opportunity because you're in one band, you're in the agonist. That's like this, like extreme melodic death metal band. You can't do all these different vocal styles in there. It doesn't make sense. Like first and foremost, we're creating music. Right. And I don't want to like create a song for me to show off. Mm. I'm going to do what's appropriate and what works. And it's like, and if I want to do like something different, I'll find a different outlet for it. So I wasn't doing that. And then I was like crying to myself, like, why aren't people seeing how good I am? You know? So there was that issue. And then like my biggest, biggest issue getting into music was, and the reason I didn't want to do the social media thing too much was like, I was thinking that certain things were expected of me. Mm. So I was thinking, oh, you got to go on Instagram and you got to post selfies of yourself or check out these women. They do like professional photo shoots once every month. And some of them, and I'm not going to like name call, but there are a lot of women that use their sexuality and use their good looks and their bodies and whatnot to gain followers. And that's cool. That's like a personal decision. I'm going to frown upon it. However, I feel I always felt like if I want to be taken seriously as a musician and build a career as a musician, I'm not going to do that Mm. because when I'm 50, I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. I mean, I could, but would anyone really want to see that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe for maybe becomes comedic at that point. But anyways, my point is this is something I never wanted to do. Hmm. but 10 years ago, instead of just being like, you know what, fuck this, just do the opposite. I used it as a, as it, it kind of crippled me in a sense. Cause I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Therefore I'm not just not going to do anything. I'm just not going to post anything. I'm not going to say anything. And I felt like that worked against me. Whereas hmm. it's like, okay, you don't want to do that one thing, find something else to do, find something that inspires you and motivates you that, you're passionate about and show the world that and maybe you know it won't get the likes and the follows that a provocative sexual photo will but the engagement 
um, not the engagement, but like the, what's the word I'm looking for? The amount of people that like it for the right reasons is mm -hmm. higher. And I still see this to this day. Cause like, I'm not saying I won't post a selfie of myself. I post a selfie with my <laughs> face on it and it will get a lot more comments and a lot more likes and a few people that like, Oh, marry me, Vicky hearts, this and that, you know, and then I post my music and it gets like half the retention, but it is what it is. This is the world we live in. Um, and I just have, I think you have to find that balance where it's like, don't do what society is expecting you to do. Don't do what other people are doing just because you see that this is the way to get followers and, and engagement and all that. Do what you want to do because otherwise you're going to hate it. And I don't want to live a life where I wake up every morning doing something I hate. Absolutely. You know, a couple of things to, to your comments and it actually goes into some, some sort of local drama I got into about a, six months ago. But, um, you know, you talked about obviously with you doing like Twitch and stuff like that, you know, posting all your, your vocal covers and so forth and some of the stuff you've done during the, you know, the pandemic and so forth. The thing that I've always found interesting about covers and there's a band here locally that put out a couple of covers when that was like really the big thing. Like I prevail put out that, uh, that Taylor Swift song. And, you know, then that became sort of the, the gateway of like, Oh, here's how we get found. You do a cover of a popular song, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the thing was that a, I think a lot of people don't realize is that I prevail had basically a whole marketing plan behind it. Like Taylor Swift didn't have her music on any DSPs. So at that point, by having the hit single and it being the only one, probably you're going to find on those boom, they're going to be like the first thing. It's almost like when you yeah. do SEO stuff, like that's basically what they did. Secondly, mm -hmm. they had a tour and a full record ready to go right behind it. So it's like the success of that was basically the Trojan horse to get everyone into the rest of their band. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of the thing seemingly a lot of other bands didn't think of. They were just like, throw covers at the wall and just see if we get signed all of a sudden. It's like, that's not yeah. how that works. Right. Secondly, when bands, especially in this situation, there was uh, the band here locally had a, was a female or is a female fronted band. And the thing that was interesting to me was, you know, they put out a song by Deftones and Glassjaw, uh, respectively. And a lot of the comments were very typical, which I mean, in rock and metal, Daryl from Glassjaw and Chino are two of the most iconic sounding like, you know who they are as soon as you hear right. them. So uh, they, this person was getting mad going like, why can't I just sound like myself? Why do I have to be compared to these other people and these other men? And I'm like, because you did a fucking cover. Like, that's <laughs> why you're being compared to those people, because you did a cover. Yeah. Um, And that kind of got me into some hot water because it's like, Aww. well, that's sexist. And it's like, that's not sexist. That's literally like, if I were to put out a Sade cover... And people would be yeah. like, you don't sound like Sade. You sound like a shitty dude. I'd be like, well, I am a shitty dude. And yeah, I'm not Sade. So like the comparisons, the, let them happen. The like, point is you you made this comment not because it was a female. You would have made the same comment if it was a yeah. dude doing yep. the cover. Right. So yeah. yeah. So that's always <laughs> something I thought to be interesting and had kind of had wondered, I guess, as a result of the, what I've gone through with this. Do how do you take that? Like when you see someone who maybe is surprised, like, oh, you did really like you kind of talked yeah. on it actually about like I love when people go, Oh, I didn't know you could do this. Yeah. But is it kind of a double-edged sword for you at times where you're like, Well, it's cool that like I don't have like your Panama cover. To me, I yeah. was like, no one's gonna sound like fucking Dave, because like he just sounds like he does. Yeah. I barely I think other than the dude from Steel Panther, I think that's like one of the only people that could get close. Yeah. But I love that like what you did was completely different. And to me, it's like I 
don't have to compare the two. Like the no. one exists the way it does and the what you did exists yeah. the way it does. Yeah. But I think it's kind of a weird thing for you as an artist. And, and I'm kind of trying to find the question, I guess, which is, is it hard for you to do something like a cover knowing that it almost seems like no matter what you do, it's not going to be taken not well received because it's always being unfairly compared to something. Uh, well, yes and no. So it's like, first of all, like I started doing covers a long time ago before it was a thing of like bands being like, let me do a cover to skyrocket my career. Like I was just doing covers in my basement or at the time bedroom <laughs> as a way to practice vocals. And this is something that I find hilarious when people just like leave a comment and sometimes they're like, oh, not as good as the original. It's like, obviously, I love the original or I like it. Not to say I love every single song I've covered, but I, there's something that I like about it that made me want to cover it. I'm not here singing other people's songs to be like, huh, let me show you how I can sing your song better than you. <laughs> like, and I don't think anyone is doing that. And if they are, it's for the wrong reasons and it's disingenuine. But I mean... Like, what do these people think? Like, they really think I'm taking a song that I hate and trying to do it better? It's like, no, it's like almost like a tribute to the original because I like it so much for whatever reason that I decided to cover it. So there's A, that, and there's B, I think I purposefully go for songs that are so different from what I already do or from what people expect me to do or sound like. I always did that. Like, most of my covers are primarily male singers, and that's because most of my influences are male singers. Like growing up, I had this like sweet Disney voice, which I still have. And I, it's like my nature to, to sing that way. But I loved metal music. I loved heavy music. I was like, I want to learn how to sing with rasp and grit and have this powerful voice. How am I going to learn? I'm going to look at these classics. And there were a few women that were doing it and still doing it. But it was primarily men. And the greats were like primarily male fronted. So those were my, my influences and that's why I did those covers. So um, I honestly like, yeah, when I see people say stuff like that, I'm like, you guys are just wrong, first of all. Second of all, when someone like criticizes my performance or they're like, you know, they have something really mean to say, it's usually just, just plain wrong. Like, <laughs> Like when someone says, oh, she can't sing, it's like, <laughs> I'm there, I'm singing, it's in key, it's correct. Maybe you don't like it, but just because you don't like it doesn't mean I can't do it. I'm doing it, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of hard to be upset when all the negative comments have absolutely no basis whatsoever. It's just someone being very upset and offended for no reason at all. It almost makes me like laugh a little bit. And... um I don't want to be the person that's being mean, but it's like, well, if you give me that energy, that's the energy you're going to receive, you know? It, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny you say that, actually, because, like, doing this show, it's been interesting because, like, you know, unlike a lot of my friends, like, you know, and friends that I've made through doing the show and so forth, it's like, you know, Doc is a great example. Like, he does this medium, and I, I love what he does and what he brings to it because he mm -hmm. has 20-some-odd years of touring, you know, my friend Dewey that does the Peer Pleasure podcast, you know, used to be in different bands and, and toured and did like warp tours and all this stuff. So there is a connection that those people inherently will have with people like you that I don't. And like people will find the host more interesting or will give that person more like rope, basically. 
Okay. So like I put out an episode with my friend Andrew that's in Dance Gavin Dance, but Ooh. I've known him from Idola, the band he actually is like it's his band. Yeah. And so it was one of those things like I put out that episode recently and and I booked Andrew's band like many years ago before Idola, before he was even in DGD or any of this other stuff. So there's a rapport yeah. we have with each other. And then he cool. was one of the first guests that I had had on this show. And so like we're friends outside of this. We are friends. And it was one of those things where posting the new episode that we did, like with him, someone made the comment. They're like, you need to let him talk. Like it's an interview. Let him talk more. I feel like you talk more than it. And I was like, that's the thing. This isn't an interview anymore. You are basically getting to hear me talk to a friend for like an hour and catch up with them. Like I haven't seen this dude in basically since touring went away. So like I, this is the first time I'm really getting to face to face talk with him. So you're sort of getting me asking him questions, but it's more of just a hangout between me and my, a friend. Yeah. And I wanted to be like, are there times where your friend maybe talks more than you or vice versa? Absolutely. But like, like I almost wanted to go on this like long thing of like, don't tell me how I should interact with my friend. But then I was like, that's not the right kind of energy. This person doesn't know, they doesn't know our relationship. So I was like, well, not going to go there. It's not. Even if it's not your friend, though, like it is a podcast. And this is the beauty of podcasts that because they are conversational, you have this like build up time that you can talk for an hour or two hours. Like some of them are like three, four hours long. You're not going to get that. If just like the person that you're interviewing is talking, like right. I can't talk for three hours by myself. Like, <laughs> and who would want to hear that? So you'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. But I feel like because of that exchange of conversation and that pause that I take or whoever takes, and we don't need to be friends for this, but to let you sort of explain your thought process that opens up different things in my brain that I can explain to you. Whereas if you just ask me like a stale, like here's one question, I'm going to answer it. I'm going to be done in like five minutes and that's it. So like people need to understand this or if they don't understand it, they could just go back to, I don't know, whatever else they were doing. They don't have to watch it. Like people just need to like, and this is, this is, this is what bothers me. Do I, open videos on youtube or whatever platform do i do i go on spotify listen to a song that i didn't like all the time but what do i do i just skip it i move on to the next one i don't go dislike this fucking sucks you know like (laughs) come on people (laughs) it's it's so funny the amount of time people will will kind of go through to to poo poo on something and you know i made the i made the comment that sort of how I started the show was I got tired of seeing quote unquote interviews with bands or people that like I, in some instances would kill to get and the person's just squandering the opportunity for basically a free ticket or whatever. And I'm like, you didn't do any, like, you know, it'd be like if I was like, so the agonist, how'd you guys get your band name? Like if I got a free ticket to go see you guys or whatever. And then yeah. I was like, I just asked bullshit. And it was like, did, really? Like now you're wasting my time and yours. And like, who, who cares? Like, yeah, come with something better. So like, yeah, my, I don't want to say contempt, but basically my disdain for finding so many of those is what mm-hmm. led me to do this. It, I was like, fine, I think I can do better. So fuck it. So like, I always <laughs> tell people like, if you yeah. think you can do better than me, yeah. hopefully you do the same thing I did. Maybe this is the jumping off point for you to start your show and you're going to be the next Joe Rogan. I don't know. Like, cool. <laughs> like at least I had a hand right. in it, but I think the hard part for me mm-hmm. is, I don't have that 20 years like a dot coil of being told I suck, my band sucks, whatever, and I'm just used to it. 
it's weird for me to have some sort of a, a platform yeah. and people to be like, you're, you, you're not good. And I'm like, that's hit or like, that's your opinion. Sure. You're entitled to yeah. it. But the thing that I think I have to do sometimes, and maybe I do too much of is like, you're saying trying to explain something because I want people who maybe have never heard the show, try to understand, like, I did shitty tours. I used to book shows. I used to do this. So like, I do kind of know what I'm talking about. I'm just not a big name that you've heard of. So you go, Oh, you have credibility in this space. Right. And so I think that's the hard part sometimes is we, it's almost like imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome, ah, Jesus, imposter syndrome, syndrome. where we will kind of maybe overcompensate because we're trying, we want to be accepted and we want to be liked. And yeah. I think that kind of becomes a thing, which actually goes to the thing that I jotted down. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were kind of talking about people who are really good at something and maybe just you know, don't know that they are mm-hmm. it going talking about going back and forth with things. When yeah. you said that for the <laughs> first time, I've never thought of this, but I wonder if that's like a weird undiagnosed form of like body dysmorphia, but in a right. different capacity. It might be. It very well might be because I, I like I can't even comprehend that. How can you possibly be a good singer or good musician and not know it deep down? Like you can be the humblest person in the world and you should be humble. Like if you see how I talk about myself on social media, I don't go out bragging like I'm the best. I'm the the goat, you know, like I don't <laughs> I don't do that stuff. Actually, I'll say something like that when I like seriously fuck up something because like sometimes I'm I'm on stream and I'll I'll go to like hit a note and I'll miss it. And I'm like. Yup, that was best take ever, you know, like it's, it's, it's good to be sarcastic about these things. But it's like, like I said, you should have a humbling sort of attitude about it because there will so- always be someone better than you. And even if there won't be, even if like, I don't know what you can't like, there's no such thing as the best of the best because it is subjective at the end of the day. As long as you're like checking all the, the boxes like, OK, you're you're on key. You have great control with your voice. You have great emotion when you sing. You're a great performer. You're already in that top whatever 1% or 0. Point whatever percent. At that point, it's just personal preference. Mm-hmm. Some people will say you're the best singer in the world, or other people will say someone else is the best singer in the world. So that doesn't exist. But going back to what you said, I can't even comprehend how someone can be so good and not know it deep down. But maybe because some people are like super humble, they don't show that to you. Maybe they do know it and they just don't want to show it to you. I'm I'm hoping because if you (laughs) don't know it, then then yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's something that like you need to go to therapy or whatever and figure it out because like you cannot live your life thinking that you're not good at something that you are absolutely incredible at. That that's just that's sad not sad it's just it's 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 a waste it's a waste of your talent and all your hard work and like it's not cool like <laughs> i don't know i don't know this is like not my, <laughs> my field at all but it's just yeah. it, it was just it was so and like literally for those that will go back and watch it when i started saying it, you could literally see the light bulb moment in my head where i was like yeah body dysmorphia but like for people who like it's not about how you look but it's a i guess about how you Your perform output. or something yeah or something yeah, yeah like yeah i i don't know it's it's it was just a it was such an and that's why i kind of love having more of a, just a conversation now as opposed to like writing out a list of questions and guiding yeah. you the whole way because then it's like like now that's going to be something i kind of take with me and i just kind of go like huh like how 
how does something like that manifest itself hmm. in other capacities in our life? Like, you know, going to therapy, it's like, okay, like you talk about these things and there are people who yeah. like, now I'm going to try to Google that somehow and see what I can discover in that capacity. But, um, you know, something else you, we've kind of touched on and you just sort of said with, you know, doing something on, on Twitch and streaming and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, I've kind of started slowly getting into it cause I'm technologically a dunce. Um, but I realized I could take this and just send it to, to Twitch so it yeah. pretty much does everything I need to. It's just like the bits and stuff like that I, I'm kind of learning about. Um, yeah. But it, it's one of those where I feel like it's interesting to see so many musicians, you know, going to this platform now to to do everything from you see like uh, um, hmm. like Porter from Atreyu and, and uh, um, the vocalist from uh, like Monster Flames, you know, they do like art Mondays or like they do art days where they just draw stuff or graphic design. Uh, you see different people doing vocal warm-ups or singing exercises or people playing video games. Like just seeing so many different people showcasing who they are as people and just kind of getting to know these, you know, artists basically in, in different capacities. And the thing that I think is interesting about it, and I kind of wanted to pose it to you a little bit, was, you know, I feel like it's it's the first time I've not seen a segregation of music scenes anymore by genre i feel like the communities are just accepting of of anybody who is doing something whereas i feel like when if i were to like doing the show sometimes i'm looked at as predominantly the hardcore metal guy but it's like you know i have aliyah skateboards behind me i love rap i love hip-hop i love all different kinds of stuff and i love Mm -hmm. hardcore metal but i feel like so many people are are the gatekeepers or whatever are just mm-hmm. like, well, I only listen to melodic black and death metal. And if and yeah. this isn't true TRVE or whatever the hell. And it's like, <laughs> I feel like the reality of our music scenes and music culture is that we are so diversive and dividing of people based on music and things they like. Whereas I feel like Twitch is one of the first times I've ever seen a community of people come together and support someone, regardless of what scene or background they come from. Have you noticed that? Yes, I have noticed that. And I think uh, a big reason for that is that music is still a little bit of a, an underdog on Twitch. Mm. Like it's a platform that was created primarily for gaming. So the biggest accounts on there are gaming And I think the last two years, music has just grown and grown. So there is this, like, unity um, because it's still the underdog. And when it comes to metal music, I feel like it's always going to be the underdog (laughs) in, 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 like, popular society. It's not going to become the mainstream music ever um, as a genre. And I think that's what really upsets me going to like your whole gatekeeper comment that really upsets me with people like this is that this genre of music is all about bringing people together that feel like they're outcasts that feel like they don't belong that, you know, grow up listening to this kind of music because everyone else is, is, is following this sort of stereotype and they feel like they're not a part of it. So they turn to like metal music for that reason. And then you come into a community that's going to do the same shit to you that that other people were doing to you. Like, it absolutely blows my mind. And um, I feel, though, like that is a little bit more of a um, hiding behind closed doors sort of mentality. Like, if you actually go to a show, a metal show, I think people are actually, like, very united 
and very like like moshing and having fun and like this and that. No one's going to turn around because you wore a t-shirt from a band that they don't like and be like, hey, what are you doing here? Get the fuck out of here wearing that t-shirt. You know, <laughs> that doesn't happen in real life. It's like a very like internet thing. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like it's also maybe a thing of like behind closed doors, like in the industry that you're never going to hear about. Um, but I think in real life, metal is very accepting. And we're seeing more of that on Twitch because it is a representation of people's real life. Like when I turn on my camera and my mic, I'm sitting right here in my basement. (laughs) Nothing changes, you know. So I think that's why. That's why there's that support where it's like, and also you're kind of taking back control. That's another thing I was going to say. You have this platform that, that enables you to broadcast to anywhere in the world and i'm thinking about like 15 20 years ago you didn't have that opportunity to to showcase who you are as a person you would have to wait to get this like really cool interview that's going to go on tv like mtv at the time or i think like in when i lived in greece we had like metal hammer that had a segment that interviewed vocalists or musicians um or you would have to actually be like on on television or whatever like you would have to wait for a media outlet to come and interview you and ask you the right questions so you can show people your personality. Oh, what just happened there? I don't know. Oh, you're, oh, there you are. Okay. Sorry. The window just disappeared. Very strange. <laughs> um, I thought, I thought it cut off. Sorry. I was like looking at you and all of a sudden like it was gone. Okay. Um, so you had to wait for those opportunities and you might never get them. And, mm. but now it's like, I could just show you who I am right here. This is me. Take it or leave it. You know, and I, th- I think that's a very powerful tool in these days. And it's, it's very much needed because it's a little bit less fake compared to other social media because it's all real time. It's go, go, go. You can't go back and edit something you said or something you did. So how good are you at hiding? How good are you at faking it? Probably not. That's why majority of what you see is real people being real. Yeah. It would be draining. Imagine going on stream every single day, streaming for three hours and pretending to be someone you're not. That would be horrible. So we don't see that too much. I think that's been, it's kind of a catch 22. I feel like at times, because I, I feel like, you know, kind of going back to the whole thing again of kind of being on 24 seven, mm-hmm. you know, I think about, like I, I'm very much like you are or were where I'm like, oh, I, I like I've always said, if I could get to the point where like I can hire somebody like the show ever gets that successful where I can literally hire a social media person, I'm probably deleting Facebook so I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. And then I'm probably I would probably oddly enough, I would probably keep Twitter because I actually do like I feel like I get a, a better prism of the world because of the th- different accounts I follow and they're the different people's perspectives on things. Yeah. May not agree with them, but like there are a lot of different musicians that I follow that have different political yeah. meanings, but I love the fact that they are still friends and they're able to have discourses, which would almost typically you would see, well, fuck you. I block you. And, but it's like yeah. the next day, like they're talking about something else. They're still yeah, friends yeah, yeah. because they understand that, like cool to see, disagreement sure. happens. And I'm like, yeah. but I think again, maybe it's due to the age of like, that's what we grew up in. Like you have disagreements, mm-hmm. you talk through it and mm-hmm. then you just kind of go, okay, you and I are going to see eye to eye on that. Like, it's cool, but maybe we can have a discourse and maybe you can teach me something that I didn't know about your thing or whatever, or vice versa. Yeah. But yeah. I love seeing that. So to me, I, 
I know Twitter is pretty much a cesspool and it's kind of got all the worst things of everything, but the way I've kind of curated my Twitter, I do like what it does and how I can kind of get news very yeah. quickly. And Instagram, I like for the sake of it's interesting. I try to use it a little bit more for like the medium it was supposed to be, which is just, here's a photo, yeah. quick little caption, whatever. Um, but I like that because it's a, it's a different form of creativity uh, to, to see how people use it. But Facebook is just fucking garbage. Um, it's getting worse and worse, too, with putting out your content. Like, I remember, like, seven, eight years, seven years ago, <laughs> I would post a photo and it, it would get thousands and thousands of likes or a video or whatever. And now where there's no doubt about it, like, career-wise, I'm way higher up than I used to be seven, eight years ago. And I have more followers and my photos are getting less engagement and less likes than back then because of this whole, like, Oh, you have to pay to promote your content. It's absolute garbage. Like how can I have four or five times the followers and the same amount of likes, if not less that, 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 that doesn't no, it just doesn't work. And every other platform, I see the growth on every other one but not Facebook, you know, I would, I would almost pose the question to you because like I have a, one of my tattoo artists is what I like to call like, you know, a town celebrity. Like he is in high demand. Like I just went to him today to go book an appointment and we're friends and I'm the first week of February. Like he's, that's how far out he's booked. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I see like his photo, like, his post just blowing up like, cause he's, he's grown his brand. He's grown his name over the last, since I've known him. And, you know, I made a comment one day to him when we were hanging out. I was like, it must be so fucking like, I sort of wish my business pages would be as successful as yours. But then I also see that like your shit is just constantly going. Yeah. And you kind of have to interact with that. I was like, so part of me is jealous because it, like, I want that. I want that success. But part of me is also like, no, no, I don't. I don't want to have to deal with like being who people expect me to be, I guess, or whatever. Like, I don't know, just this weird expectation of like, well, when you have the hundreds of thousands of likes and the hundreds of comments and stuff like that, it's like, well, then I think I feel like it's expected that you have to interact with that in some capacity because then, like you said, it's tied to your livelihood. So now you have to do that otherwise people are going to have the adverse reaction and i and i feel like yeah. that would be stressful yeah well that which brings me back to what what i said in the beginning when it comes to your social media do the things you want to do and show the people the things you want to show them because if you don't then it's just going to be draining you every day so let's say like you start your social media and you're like i'm going to respond to every single comment that someone leaves me and i've seen accounts that do that it's like you're not going to be able to keep up because like if you grow and you literally post a photo and you get a thousand comments, are you going to respond to all 1000 comments? Like that's absolutely absurd. <laughs> um, so like I do respond to comments sometimes like the ones that make a little bit more effort. Like if I post a cover or, or my, an original song and someone's like, wow, amazing work. I'm not going to respond to that comment. But if someone leaves like a whole paragraph going in depth about what they liked about it and like analyzing them. I'll be like, okay, this person spent a lot of time. I'll comment, but because I want to comment, not because it's right. expected. Right. And, and that feels okay. And I'm okay with that. And I can keep up with that. 
I guess it's more about, again, another therapy tool that I had is managing expectations, which I think just goes into life in general. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you can set someone's expectations and manage your own, then I think no one will hypothetically, no one will be disappointed because you've already set that expectation of what to expect out of you. Yeah, exactly. So something that I wanted to touch on, because I think it's an interesting talking point, um, you know, you had a uh, Matt from Vox and hops slash cryptopsy yeah. on your stream, uh, like four or five days ago. Yeah. Uh, I was a guest on his show and it's kind of weird. Uh, cause I, I like talking to other podcasters. Um, but you know, he's sort of like, again, like the dot coils and so forth where he is in the world as well. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where I don't think people understand what it's like to kind of have to, to sort of lead a conversation or to, to interview somebody until you have to do it. How did you find that experience of doing something like that with somebody, especially on a stream where you're having comments come in you're trying to facilitate the questions maybe that are coming up that you're like, Oh, that's a good one. I'll get to that in a minute and still keep a natural conversation going with somebody. I think it's easier for me to have natural conversations with people. That's why, like if you told me, can you become an interviewer tomorrow or in a month? I'd say no. Cause like, (laughs) I think I have that experience that I know which questions bother me so much that I wouldn't want to ask anyone else those questions. Um, And there's a few that we get all the time as musicians that like, okay, it's been 10 years. This is the hundredth time someone has asked me this. Like you could just Google it and find that information, you know? So I think I have, because of that, because of like being interviewed so many years by so many different people, I know what not to ask. And um, I think it might be difficult if I don't know the person at all, never met them. I don't know their interests. Maybe it'd be like trying to like, you know, break a wall a little bit um, or break the ice or whatever, you know, like trying to get to know them during the conversation. Mm -hmm. Whereas like with Matt, for example, or other people that I plan to have on on the stream in the future, I've met them. We've played a show together. We've toured together. So I kind of like know okay just by having a conversation like what this person is interested in talking about because that's also the beauty of streaming that it could go on for two three four five hours because you're having fun because you're into it and because the crowd is into it so if you know what to stay away from that people are just like oh yawn you know (laughs) i think you're good (laughs) yeah it's funny i uh the last time i talked to porter because he just started doing his twitch stream he was like, let's do it on that. So I was like, all right. So the kind of ground rule was like, all right, we're going to give John whatever the time he needs. And then, you know, we'll kind of do a normal, you know, stream or whatever at that point after mm-hmm. that. So I was trying to be cognizant of time. Cause I know he likes to be done three hours or so. So we talked for about an hour and 40 minutes, kind of covered a, a gamut of things. And then I was like, boom, there's my episode. Yeah. But then we talked for another four hours on stream. And everyone, like, yeah. and the weird part was, is, like, you know, with Discord, like, I'm still learning Discord stuff and all that crap, mm-hmm. too. But it was crazy because there were people who were, like, oh, my God, I could have listened to another two, three hours of that. It was so, in- like, all of it was engaging the way you guys were both able to come back to things you talked about, like, and just oh. covering so many different topics. And I was just, like, and it reminded me, like, again, why I love the medium, but more to the fact of why what I think we're missing and what I see when you have some of these longer form conversations, which is why I've really kind of started to break away from the 20, 30 minute press junket 
Because yeah. it's like, I know how to do that. And I think I'm pretty good at getting a good 20 minutes out of somebody. But this is where like, you know, 30 minutes in with someone, that's where you start kind of getting some familiarity. It's almost like, it's almost like having first date with someone on my end. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, you and I have never talked before. Like I can find things out about you because of the internet being what it is, but you don't know who I am or what I'm going to ask you. And there's this sense of trust and vulnerability on both ends. Yeah. And you hope that at the end of it, you both walk away, or at least I do where I walk away going like, all right, I hope that wasn't a huge waste of that person's time where they're like, Hey, uh, publicist never have me do that dude show again. Cause that right. sucked. But right. it's one of those where I feel like, I know for me, like a big thing that was nice was during the pandemic when everyone couldn't see anyone. I was still, I was doing more of yeah, these, more of these, and yeah, yeah. I tended to find that it was so nice because I, I still got that interaction with people that yeah. we were all losing. And yeah, but uh, okay, but, yeah, sorry, sorry. No, you're good. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say about what you said. Um, hopefully, it doesn't reach a point where like someone's upset or whatever. I wanted to say this about interviews, and I feel like this has shifted since like maybe the 80s or 90s or something where people need to be allowed also to say like, hey, you know, I'm not comfortable talking about this or I don't like this or I don't agree. Like going to your conversation about Twitter, how you see people talking, sharing their views and they don't agree and then they're still friends at the end of the day. I think we need to be promoting this type of behavior, even in interviews where it's like it can't always go smoothly. Like then it's not a genuine conversation. And if we're just agreeing on everything all the time, then life would be pretty boring. And um, I think, yeah, I think people need to step outside that comfort zone a little bit and be like, you know what? I don't like this. I don't want to talk about this or I don't agree with you or whatever. But I think this is the whole social media thing where like you have to present this perfect version of yourself that like, I'm always pleasant and I always smile and I have the perfect relationship and me and my husband, we never fight, you know, like I wake up looking like this. I don't wear makeup, natural beauty, like all these like societal things that have built up where it's just like making you feel that if you don't present this perfect image and personality that you're lesser than other people and it seeps into interviews as well, where it's mm -hmm. like, no, like. I, I have said this. I said this before the EP run. Thankfully, it hasn't happened yet. But I said this. If anyone, especially on tours, because this happens on tours where the thing that you said where someone gets a press pass so they get to come to the show for free just because they're interviewing you and they haven't done their research. And so I'll have like an interview and someone's holding a piece of paper and they're like, I'm here with, you know, and they have to read it off the paper. And I'm sitting there being nice about it. I said to myself, if this happens again, that's it. Like, I'm speaking up because this is not cool. This is uncomfortable. And we should we should call people out that do that. Like, you don't know my name or my band. And what are you doing here? <laughs> well, I mean, I think in full transparency that because I think it, it's sort of a, it's just full transparency. So I have no problem. I have no qualms talking about it. Yeah, I would say a good I'd say probably a good 65 to 70% of the people I have on the show. I probably have barely heard like straight up the email came yeah. through uh, your publicist followed back yeah. up. Cause I mean, I get a ton of emails, so I just sometimes, and my uh, old co-host still has access. So sometimes he'll read them and then I just don't know that they're new. Yeah. And it was like, Hey, following up on this think you know, you would love to talk to Vicky. She's really great. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah. Um, you know, and the, the publicist doing what they do, you know, 
blows up the bit. Oh, it's the best and da da da. All these buzzwords and so forth. And you're like, okay, like adjectives. <laughs> yep, yep. And I was like, yeah, I'll talk to Vicky. I was like, I, I have no idea who the agonist is. That's fine. And then it was funny. She goes, well, they're really big overseas. And I was like, yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden she was like, and uh, Lisa, I was like, yeah, somebody else from another band, uh, from Arch Enemy. And I was like, oh, yeah, wasn't there like a thing like a couple of years? She goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, yes, yes, yes. I do know of the band. I just, I don't necessarily like, and I've made no bones about it that like doing this show has maybe turned me off a lot on listening to music because i feel like it's work because i'd have to find right. something in it to talk to you about that maybe hopefully no one else has or very few people have so it becomes this thing where i'm like oh i don't want to listen to anything i just i want to listen to podcasts i want to hear people's stories and in that regard right. i've always said i will talk to anyone because i think everyone has a story and there's something that i can probably talk to you about where i can go okay now we're on same same level we can talk about something sure. interesting and then go from there Yes. And in that capacity, that's what I've really strived to do where it's like, but I don't want anyone to feel bad. Like where it's like, well, I can tell you didn't like that band. It's like, I probably don't like, a, I don't actively listen to a lot of the bands that I have because I just don't yeah. listen to it. So, like, Yeah. So, th so here's the difference. First of all, this is your format and you want to talk to people as people. So that doesn't necessarily mean you need to go back and listen to everyone's discography. Like nobody has those hours in the day <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> That's fine. And also, like, that's totally cool, too. Like, if everyone on the planet knew me or my band, then I wouldn't be out here doing promo and talking to people because I everyone already knows me. So why am I doing this? You know, right. that's totally cool, too. Like, I think people need to let go of this idea like, oh, you don't know who I am. It's fine if you don't know who I am. This is why we're talking. And after this, you're going to know who I am. So that's cool, too. What I was criticizing is people that come in yeah. Interviewing about your latest release, for example, yeah. and they have to read it off the paper, like what the album title was, what your <laughs> name is, what your band is. And they have made mistakes like like not saying the agonist, like someone once said the antagonist or, you know, they've made mistakes. And I'm like, you're literally here. You got into the show for free based on the fact that you're going to interview me and you couldn't spend you know, 30 minutes, one hour of your day to do a very light research, listen to the music a little bit, come in a little bit prepared because this is your format. This is your platform. This is what you're doing. Yeah. So like going back to us, if you had done the same thing and you were asking me about the music and you were like, uh, I didn't actually have the time to listen to it. So why don't you tell us about it? No. I been like, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> no, I, and <laughs> that's, that's the one thing for me that like, I'll like, I think it's pretty clear. Like I, not like thankfully and i'm gonna say this uh because it's i always get these it's napalm that came out it's coming out on right yeah. napalm record okay yeah i'm gonna say this kudos to your label and your publicist they are one of the few that when i get a, a promo copy of something that actually attach the fucking lyrics because most nine times out of ten i talk to vocalists and it's not that you are unarticulate when you're singing or you know doing your yeah. your heavier vocals but sometimes i'd rather look at something no music no nothing and just you know read because to me yeah. yes you are writing something that's based on it was informed on the music like oh here's this cool like riff thing and i could do this and here's this melody and yeah. so on and so forth but sometimes to me especially in aggressive music the thing that i love is when you can look at something and go okay 
here is a really cool theme. Here's a really mm -hmm. cool lyric. What is yeah. what is this person trying to say? And, you know, I was on – it's funny you say, like, not everyone has the time to go through someone's discography. My old co-host, uh, he has a show called Discography Discussion. That's exactly what we did. And okay. everything that we were doing when I joined the show was basically death metal bands, which I was like – I hate this genre because it almost seems like the point of pride for it is sound as shitty as possible. When I'm like, do you not have any fucking budget to like just make something sound a little bit better? Like, <laughs> I know you're technically proficient at what you're doing. And I yeah. think it was cattle decapitation where, you know, as the band progressed and, you know, their newer records, I'm like, this sounds really good. It's It's got hooks for what it is. And mm -hmm. even going through and reading all the fucking lyrics that are in that stuff, it's like, you, there's some really profound things yeah. being said. Unfortunately, yeah. when you just hear like a, a, almost yeah. a rhythmic percussive instrument done yeah, vocally, yeah, yeah. you're not going to pick that apart. And I don't care what anyone says. You're not really going to be able to understand that. Yeah. But that's why I, as a music fan, want to go and go, okay, what are you fucking saying? What is, what are yeah. you trying to get across? So yeah. to me, I was so stoked when I had the PDF with all the lyrics and I was like, yeah. thank fucking God, more labels and publicists need to get on this trend. So at least yeah. like I can talk to you about something. For sure. And I think it depends on the band too mm. and what their focus is. And in metal, not a lot of bands focus on lyrics. Lyrics come, you know, secondary. They're like, well, I need words to, to <laughs> do my vocals on and whatever. It's death metal, make it gruesome. Let's talk about killing people and whatever. That's fine. Um, and for some bands, they're really important. And I think think i tend to place that focus like with with our publicists too i said that they're important i sent in the lyrics and maybe that's like an added another reason why they focused on they made sure to send them in as well i did i did mention that it's a concept dp so once mm -hmm. you say the word concept people are like okay lyrics are even more important here now because it's a concept so perhaps that added to it but i do appreciate it always when i talk to someone that cares about lyrics because it's not common in metal. Like most people are all about like the technicalities, the guitar work, the drum work, the vocal work. They don't focus on the words as much where I think that's a shame because words are important. Telling a story is important. Well, I think like the thing for me that I've always thought was kind of funny about that, the genre itself of kind of more technical, like death metal and stuff like that. A lot of times I feel like it's so akin, especially in the breath work to rap. Because instead of being, you know, like, here's a rock song, yeah. it's a two and a half minute, like, song, here's your verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, bridge, yeah. outro, whatever. It's, I'm not saying, like, those elements aren't there, but when you have, like, you know, you look at a band like Demi Borgir, and they have, like, a six, seven long, minute long song, and it's kind of progressive, and it's got symphonic elements, and it's almost telling a story unto itself, and then the, the song ends, but this the keys lead into the next song, and it, it's very... I've always said it's very cinematic. Mm -hmm. And so in that capacity, I've always been like, okay, well, you can't like, what good is a movie if you don't know the fucking plot? And yeah. I've always felt like my love of hip hop more so like old school hip hop, where it's more storytelling and kind of autobiographical. I feel like to a degree. And unfortunately, like you said, a lot of people don't focus on the lyrics or, or the vocalists yeah. really, but I feel like a lot of the things you're doing because it's harder to find a spot like where you know you're going to do this or land on this symbol hit or whatever that I feel like it's so rhythmically approached that you basically are writing hip hop just over not hip hop traditional beats. 
It's so funny that you say that. that's why I'm smiling like an idiot the entire time. But like, that's my number one response to like metal fans, like true metal fans that hate rap and hip hop. I'm like, dude, just just take off the distortion from anyone's screams and you'll see that they're just rapping. Really? <laughs> Especially if the band is like very like groovy in their rhythms. It, it, it's it's all and a lot of bands like rhyme too with their screams. It really just is. It's like the same foundation. And especially when you have a lot of words that you because of that, like, let's say it's like a fast paced, like screaming part, you need a lot of lyrics. So suddenly, like you need to start telling a story, because if you're not telling a story, then I think you, you, you'll hit writer's block where it's like, OK, I wrote a verse and it's cool. But where do I go from here? Right. You don't have a story in mind. But once you have a story in mind, it's like, oh, here's my intro, beginning, middle, end, boom, boom, boom. Like I've written songs, lyrics like in 10 minutes sometimes because I had the story in my head and inspiration struck or whatever. And it's like, boom, here you go. A full page of lyrics. And I I certainly see that like like that, that metal and old school hip hop have a lot of similarities. They started from the same place. Uh, a lot about like real life problems and and people talking about their issues. So it's like to see that separation grow more and more in today's society, like really upsets me because it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. They're both great genres of music and have great things to offer sometimes for the same reason, sometimes for different reasons. It's like, we shouldn't be shitting on anything really. <laughs> well, I think that's like one of the, like, very recently the episode won't be out still for a little bit but like i did an episode with uh or a chat with malcolm from the band x unlocking unlocking the truth you may remember them they were like the three african-american kids playing metal in times square like that went viral like back in 2013 or 2014 and then everyone was like oh the, the new underground metal scene the saviors these kids are gonna like poise to save metal basically as as often headlines do to just get people to click on it and so forth just like trivium was probably 10 years before that oh these young kids are gonna save metal but it's funny because like now he's merged into sort of this trap hip-hop kind of stuff that sort of melds between like a juice world and trippy red and some of the stuff like that's that's more of like what he was what he's kind of growing up with but it's funny in talking to him because i was like I remember sending the publicist at the time. I was like, I am probably out of anyone who will talk to this kid. I am probably like the person like I'm in. I love metal hardcore. I also love hip hop and all that kind of shit. So I am probably like right. Like the Venn diagram for this kid is me. (laughs) And it was weird because like when we were talking about when I was talking about some of the hip hop that I was really into and got me into it. And then versus like now my wife kind of like listening to a lot of more of the newer stuff he goes it's so weird to hear you say like oh this is old like i don't even know though i don't really fuck with those those artists because i don't know them and i'm like (gasps) but then i was like he goes like you know like you're saying like juice world like that's that those are my people of like who's hip-hop and i'm like all right that that's the difference in our age and and absolutely like and but like i'm not going to negate what you're saying is what inspires you or what informs you but it is weird that there's a little bit of such a gap of like, here's what I consider true hip hop. And then yeah. what you're considering is what is hip hop now, which absolutely is, is. Yeah. See, this is a little bit of a difference though, with metal music and hip hop world that I feel like in metal, we're still holding on to those like legends. 
you still see like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath headlining all the festivals, right? To a point where it's like, can this like stop a little bit? Can we push some newer bands a little bit more? Because you know these bands aren't going to be around forever. It's a different thing to honor them and respect them. It's a different thing to put them over and put them on the top. All like, and and I have a lot of friends where they're like, I'm a huge you know, Black Sabbath fan, but I've seen them 10 times already. I want to see other bands. So we do that in metal, but in hip hop, it's the opposite. It's all about who the new person is. And a lot of these young rappers, if they, if you ask them about, you know, like the stuff that you grew up on, they'll be like, I don't know who that is because it's not a thing in their world to, to keep mentioning the greats and keep putting them over. It's just well, like, yeah. I think that kind of goes back to what I was sort of getting at with, the, with the, with Twitch and, and kind of the, the lack of gatekeepers in the communities, yeah. because I feel like I, I agree with what you're saying with like the whole, like you go to, and then I'm so jealous. And one of my goals is to get this show to the level where I can go to like a Vakken or a, you know, rock and ring rock and park, whatever as media and go see the festivals that I wish we fucking had over here where it's like, yo, here's, here's, you know, Def Leppard and Demi Borgir back to back. Like you never will fucking see that yeah. here in the States because they're just too close minded to do some shit like that. Yeah. But I love the fact that overseas they are more appreciative of the legacy acts. But I agree with you where they and I think the the obviously you have to have the big names that are going to sell the tickets and also have the money to put forth a big budget production show that gets the people, the tens of thousands of people to come to these things. Yeah. But the biggest thing that I don't see and I've always seen it in hip hop and I never see it in rock and metal, the cosine, the frequent collaborations. I don't ever fucking see that in rock and metal. And I don't know if it starts yeah. at, the, at the top at the industry, like the, the managers and so forth who are like putting it into your ear where it's like, here's your piece of the pie. And if you do this, then yeah. you're going to get an even smaller piece of the small piece you already have. Whereas I feel like hip hop and rap are like, All the let's, time. Go, let's go get the fucking bag. Like you want 75 yeah. K for a verse. Cool. Cause I know, my song's going to go fucking big and then I'm yeah. going to get my royalties and my pubs and all that shit and yeah. I'm going to make the money back anyway. So yeah. it's just, it don't mean nothing for me to do that. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like that's the biggest difference is everyone is so afraid of losing whatever little money they're getting that they lose sight of doing you know? something fun and doing something that yeah. could open more doors. And I feel like that's yeah. the biggest thing that I see that just frustrates me where I'm like, take a page out of what they're doing. Co-star. Yeah. yeah, and also like I feel like perhaps some bands are afraid or some artists are afraid of losing their spot, you know? Um, but I don't know. It, it's all very upsetting. I think we should be honoring younger, younger bands and putting them over. And this is how the genre is going to stay alive. And if we're just holding on to like this, this old school idea of metal, which I absolutely love. I grew up on that, but it's like, not a lot of people listen to it. Not a lot of young kids. And we need some of these like crossover bands that have like poppy elements to like help expand the genre and get more people into it. Like, <laughs> so super funny thing that happened that I'm sure you saw, like when when Ozzy Osbourne uh, collaborated with Post Malone. Yep. And there were all these these tweets of people being like, whoa, so great of Post Malone to like show us a great new artist, Ozzy Osbourne. They did and the same with people, Kanye when he had Paul Paul McCartney on. Right. And yeah. and, and metal people were so upset over this. And like, <laughs> I, th I thought it was hilarious. I was like, okay, this 15-year-old doesn't know who Ozzy Osbourne is. So, you know, like... I'm not going to get mad at her. It's it's culture. It's pop culture. He's not 
as relevant right now as Post Malone or whoever else. And it's like they never heard of him. I'm going to laugh about it. And I'm going to be like, this is cool because, hey, look, the metal genre, the rock genre is being featured in the pop and hip hop world. Why is this a bad thing? Like, I don't know. Like, I people mean, need to let go of this this idea of like, I don't know. I saw it recently Post Malone, speaking of, po- announced his uh, Posty Fest that he does every year in, in Texas. And this year had Turnstile, which if you're not familiar with that band, they came, they come from the hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. But they're starting to incorporate like 90s alternative and kind of like just they're doing whatever the fuck they want, really. And it's great. Like they did an EP that basically half of that EP is now the full length that they put out. But they're turning heads and they're they're starting to break out of just being a, a hardcore band. And some people are like, yo, this is so refreshing to see someone doing something so different from everyone else. And it's getting attention that them and Gate Creeper are on Posties Fest alongside bands like, you know, Post Malone and like fucking NERD and, you know, Trippy Red and all yeah. these other people. And it got picked up by the metal sites. And a lot of people are like, oh, I would go, but I would leave as soon as they're done. And I'm like, why, why would you do that? Like, go, maybe you're going to find somebody else that day that you actually would fuck with and be like, yo, this is cool. Me personally, it reminds me sort of like posty post Malone is almost kind of doing and curating what the warp tour, the spot that warp tour is missing where it's like, cool. He's somewhere in between a bunch of other shit. God only knows who will show up with him and perform. He, can play instruments as he's shown. So it's like, why wouldn't you want to get behind a pop artist who actually came from the metal world and we shunned him. And then he was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go do hip hop, hip hop. Then and became the biggest fucking dude ever. So it's like, it's post Malone is such a great example of what's wrong with rock and metal fans. Cause we got rid of him. Cause they were like, Oh, whatever. And then he's like, well, I'm going to go do this other thing I love. And then became even bigger than he ever would have been in this scene. And yeah. it's one of those, like to see him, put out things that he loves where he's like, yeah, here's a, here's gay creeper, like a fucking sort of thrashy metal band, death metal band. I don't know if anyone's going to fuck with it at my thing, but like, I love it. So I'll be there. Yeah. And yeah. even seeing, you know, bring me, uh, just now their European run with a dater member and Lorna shore. And it's one of those where Lorna shore for like a hot minute. There was like the most talked about band between TikTok and all this kind of stuff and, and being in memes with that new single they yeah. put out. And it's like, you can shit on that all you want for them getting all that exposure, but look at what it did for them. They're now on one of the biggest tours within our respected scene. And all it's going to do is bring more eyes to the underground of the bands. They're going to like, they're going to then go tour with like, why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want a band that you supposedly love to get some fucking attention? So more people will go see the thing you like. That's I've never understood it. It's so fucking ass backwards. It really is. It really is. And it's like, I don't know, people like to have this thing where it's like, I knew you when you were underground and you're mine. It's like the Gollum thing with the my precious, you know, is it it's disturbing because it's like and, and I go through this with like my own small community, too, sometimes where I'm like, things are growing and it gives me less time to like be on my discord and like engage with people and stuff like that. And they always have to tell me like, don't worry about it, Vicky. Like we just want to see you like succeed. We're here to help you succeed. It's not about, Oh, you couldn't do a hangout this week. You couldn't put, put out more content this week because you're busy. Like 
we just want to see you grow and want to see you succeed. And I, I, I feel really grateful for that because yes, as you grow, you know, you, f- there's not enough time in the day to do everything. So, um, I think people need to like be more accepting of that and be like happy that like the artist you loved and that you discovered before the rest of the world is growing right now. Assuming of course that, you know, they, they didn't completely change their sound and like sell out and all those other components. But like, um, yeah, I, I never got that, that attitude either. I think it sucks. It's, it's just poor human behavior. <laughs> Um, kind of been wrapping up cause I don't want to keep you too much longer. I don't know if you got yeah. some behind me. Um, yeah. So I see, uh, see some of your Batman paraphernalia behind you. Mm. How do you feel about the upcoming Robin, Robert Pattinson, uh, Batman? I don't know. Don't I'll know? have to wait and see it. I thought it was a little weird that, I don't know. He's very skinny in the, <laughs> in the trailer. Like this is Batman. He's supposed to be this like towering, huge figure. I don't know. I feel weird about I, it i really liked him in the lighthouse i thought that was a really i was movie. i was legitimately excited when they announced him because you know he's one of those actors that everyone's like oh twilight twilight whatever but i always felt like he has a lot in him as an actor yeah and he's got that like, jawline too that you're like okay i could see him playing you know batman but i didn't expect this direction and i mean it's just a trailer so i don't know but um it almost looks like they went with like more of like the noir style for the movie. Yeah, maybe so. it'll be good. I don't. I really don't know. But <laughs> but who's your favorite Batman? So it's hard. Like I I have always said. I think Michael Keaton is one of the few that has been able to pull off both. But yeah. I think the problem is like I think Val Kilmer was a great Batman or a great Wayne Bruce Wayne bad Batman. I mm-hmm. think Christian Bale was a great Batman horrible Bruce Wayne, George Clooney, great Bruce Wayne, terrible Batman. Like, so they've never really had the dichotomy of, or the duality of both where it's like, you see the one being one or the other. And I feel like, and I know it's, it's, it's kind of shitty to be like, Oh, well, it's obviously the first person you ever saw played on a, on a theater or on a, in a movie. But I really feel like Keaton kind of was able to play both where he, he was able, you, you could believe him as being this rich person who has a, a, a story past that leads him into being this other thing. Honestly, I feel like what they need to do, and I don't know how you do this because like, I feel like the benchmark for this has been set with this person, but Robert Downey Jr. Being Iron Man, I think was like the first time I've really seen someone where you're like, Oh, he is both a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I've not really seen anyone really be able to, to do that when you have to play a civilian and a superhero. There's been a few that have, have been like a really good cast, good choice, but then maybe it's like the writing that's bad. Like I feel about that, like I feel that way a little bit about Spider-Man. Like I think Who's your Holland- favorite Spider-Man so far? Well, I think Tom Holland is a great choice as a person mm-hmm. to play Spider-Man because he he's got you know, he's he's short, he's small, and you know, I think it's a great choice. I just think the writing wasn't great. Whereas like I think the writing was better in the in the first um Tobin the first playing a 30-year-old teenager. What? <laughs> I said with Tobin Maguire playing a 30-year-old teenager. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the movies were better then, but 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 I don't know. It this is all personal opinion, obviously. And like going back to Batman, I do agree with you. I I also really enjoyed Christian Bale, but I just think like Christian Bale is a phenomenal actor. 
Like, I love him in everything he does. And I think, again, like, the Dark Knight movies were exceptional. Actually, Batman Begins is, like, my favorite, surprisingly, because I love origin stories. But then the thing, like, with with Ben Affleck, for example, too, I thought he he looked great as Batman. He got, like, super big. I didn't really like him as Bruce Wayne. So, like, I do agree with you. It's hard to find the perfect role, like, that does both, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's I think that's the hard part, but I think it almost speaks to the human side of things where, you know, like you I mean kind of bring it again full circle. So like you know, you had kind of talked about how if you're pretending to be somebody and you go on a stream for three hours and that's not really who you are, like that's work. That's it'd be so hard to do. I think that's why it's hard for us to find the perfect so and so because in yeah. the comic they could draw the person and they could make the dialogue. They could, they could steer it however they wanted to make you believe both. Whereas in a movie, you have to believe both sides of this person. And it's like, okay, do you want the big hulking person? So you believe him as a superhero, but then you see him and he's not a believable millionaire, all this kind of stuff. There were moments ironically in it. And it's maybe a scene in, in I think it's the dark Knight rises. That's the one with uh, Joker, right? Uh, I don't know. I always just call them Dark Knight one and two. (laughs) So the second one with Heath Heath Ledger, there was a scene. um, There's a scene in the movie where Bruce is kind of getting away from the Batman stuff and trying to be more of Bruce Wayne. And he's in, he's in like a, uh, in like a fancy restaurant. He has like the models on his arms. They get in the pool or the, the waiting pool or the, the fountain or whatever. And, it's so weird because it's the only, and I've never really said this to anyone, so I don't know if anyone will ever agree, but I was like, because of him, because of Christian Bale being in Psycho or American Psycho, I was like, that's all I saw was Patrick Bateman in that moment. Like, it's just oh, him being crazy and being weird to like throw people off from who he really is. Cause he was doing that constantly in that movie. And I was like, so I never felt like that was a Bruce Wayne thing. I see but what you mean. Then I was like, but is that actually a Bruce Wayne thing where you have it- to kind of be crazy and over the top to that is, so far away from what yeah. you are yeah. that I was like, I don't know. But then it's like, you go back to American psycho and you're just like, well, he was doing that. And then obviously the whole thing of like, well, was that really him killing people or was that just figments of his imagination? I see what you mean. But I, I do think that is a very Bruce Wayne thing. Cause like, it's funny. This is, and this is why I always love Batman, Batman too. Cause he's not a superhero. He's an actual person has tons of money and <laughs> tons of training to be this person. But uh, it's like Batman is his care is who he is. And Bruce yeah. Wayne is the fictional character. So like I said, I, I just love Christian Bale. I think he's a great actor in everything that he's played. So um, I felt like he did a really great job and um, yeah, really good lines in those movies in general. Like, um, what was that line? <sighs> Talking about it with my husband, such a good line where he's like, say, he says, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, but I don't have to kill you. Um, oh, oh, he's, uh, he's holding, he's holding him over the ledge. And he's like, basically like, it's, it's such a Batman thing where it's like, I'm going to bring you down, but I don't have to be the one that actually kills you. Right. Cause basically um, him being seen with him or whatever is going to basically, seal his fate with like the bad guys yeah yeah and i think that's that's super powerful like 
as I mean, because then we have like other characters like the Punisher where it just walks in and kills everyone. <laughs> but then it's like kind of like Batman's always like this, this, this knight, you know, where he's like, you're going to get your own fate. You're going to get what's coming. I don't have to kill you myself. It's just going to happen on its own and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. <laughs> I think you just stumbled across the perfect person to be that could probably do both. I think John Berthal could actually be a good Batman and you Bruce Wayne. I mean, look at the duality of what he did in, in the Punisher series where he has to play. Oh, I loved him there. This, this person who is so driven by the atrocities that happened to him and his family and being brainwashed basically as a, a former a whatever branch of the military he was in. But then just being like, in spite of all that shit and like figuring out who has caused all this harm and wrong on me. I'm just going to become a vigilante unto myself with no real gadgets, no nothing. I'm just because I want it that I want to, I want to fucking kill you so bad. I'm going to, I'm willing to die or put myself into these horrible situations and watching that show, you believe both sides. So when he's breaking down crying, thinking about his, you know, the passing of his family, but then even when he's hardcore, just brutally murdering motherfuckers that like, I feel like that is what's missing from a lot of the people who have played Bruce Wayne and Batman is the vulnerability of being a human, but the extenuating circumstances where when push comes to shove, you're able to just go so far above and beyond what most people would put up with to, to get vengeance or justice or whatever. Yeah. That he's able to convey both of those things very believably that I feel like he is probably one of the few that could pull it off. Perhaps, perhaps. But also I do feel, like I said, the writing is very, very important because even if you get the perfect person, if the writing is off, like the story and everything, you're kind of like, eh, wasted opportunity, you know? <laughs> and I think we need, as a, as a closing with all these like superhero things, I think we need a little bit of a break at some point. It's mm. just been like, like, think about it. The first Batman movies were like 80s, 90s-ish. Yep, there was a good gap there before the dark knight came and it came in a, a totally different way like the that interpretation of like the original tim burton interpretation and then we didn't really get too much of a break then we had you know another Marvel. reboot with yeah. the justice league and all this and like here you go boom 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 um same thing with like we have the avengers and spider-man and this and that and, like we need a little bit of a break because so people can miss all these superheroes again before we bring them back or we need to like create new stories create a new like superhero or new villain or whatever like bring back imagination because i think there's too much like oh let's reboot this let's reimagine this it's like can we just come up with like some new original stories too perhaps nope nope Nope. <laughs> nope. It goes back yeah. to the whole thing with Judas Priest still headlining things after <laughs> 40 years. It's people just want what they know. And Which I love Judas Priest. And, yeah. <laughs> well, it was a, a lot of fun talking to you. Where uh, is there anything you would like to plug online or anything in general? Uh, no, I mean, this was super cool. And uh, just, I guess, my usual thing is like, you know, go check out my socials, <laughs> stuff I do, my Twitch, my Patreon, all that stuff, you know. And stay up to date if you liked the things I had to talk about. I talk about them a lot more on Twitch. And um, yeah, no, it's super cool. I just love talking to people about things that matter and things that don't matter and that are just fun to talk about. <laughs> I will definitely be following you on Twitch. My my whole thing has been uh, being active in other Twitch communities. And then when I hopefully cool. start doing my thing, like people will be like, oh, I already know you and you're pretty cool. Yeah. So 
follow you over oh. there. <laughs> It'll be nice to see you there for sure. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, yeah, hopefully see you around when the band gets touring again. Yes. Yes. Thank you so <laughs> much. This was a pleasure. Absolutely. So that was my conversation with Vicky from The Agonist. Uh, again, their latest EP, Days Before the World Wept, is out now. I uh, want to thank her for taking the time to talk to me and kind of opening up about her her lyrics and, you know, kind of talking about some of the bigger bigger picture things that we kind of discussed uh, based on her lyrics. And that's why I'm a big fan of, like, tangible media because, you know, the, too often I feel like, especially with metal and, and kind of more of the the subgenres of metal and so forth that it just turns into this thing where I feel like a lot of times the lyrics are often overlooked. Uh, it's, it's all about, you know, the, the blast beats and it's all about, you know, the, the ripping solos or, you know, all these things. And I feel like at the end of the day, we forget that there's this other part of the music that is supposed to, you know, paint, the, you know, fill in the void and just kind of be, this bigger narrative uh, about it. Um, it. It's one of those where, you know, very recently I was making the comment about how I was watching Midnight Mass and my wife was like, oh, I fucking hate subtitles because I had the subtitles on. And I was like, she goes, how can you watch it with it? I go, because I'm watching it. But like at the same time, if I, this show is so, it's so about the details and it's so about the dialogue that's happening between characters. And there's so much character building as well as story building and things that are being said that set up other things like at one point and, and no spoilers but at one point in the show toward the end there's a part where the and you know if you understand midnight mass church church masses um so it basically they're singing in the congregation they're singing this song at a certain point in the show and the the song toward the very end of the scene, you know, the, the people are kind of walking through the congregation or walking through this small town and they're singing this song. And at one point I heard what I thought was a, a lyric during the hymn. And I was like, huh? And then I went back and turned the subtitles back on. Cause at this point I was, I was watching this on the plane uh, when I went to Buffalo a couple of days ago and I'm watching this. And then I turned the subtitles back on for that. Cause I didn't think I needed it. And it was one of those things, the lyrics of the hymn, and I don't know if it's a real hymn, I need to do a little bit more research on that myself, but it was basically setting up something that was about to happen and had been happening. And it was one of those that as I'm reading the lyrics to the hymn, I was like, holy shit, this is like, so this is prophesizing so much of what's happening in the show. And they're just kind of too oblivious. Um, all of that is to say that when you get the lyrics sometimes to, to your favorite bands, you know, there's there's the, always the common theme of like, oh, I thought the lyric was this and it's not. And it's like if you have the lyrics and you actually took the time to read them, you would get the full understanding of what the lyrics are and, and kind of where this this vocalist is coming from and, and kind of maybe the broader spectrum of what the band was trying to do as a whole through the piece of music. And I think sometimes we just do ourselves a disservice because we don't take that full deep dive. And so, as you heard, there's a lot going on on this EP and a lot going on with where Vicky's coming from. So I, I really do hope that you listen to this EP and go through and actually take the time to, to learn the lyrics and read along and kind of take in the full breadth of what the agonist is doing, the picture they're trying to paint. Um, you wouldn't look at a painting when it's half done and then judge it based on that. 
Some people would, I guess. I don't know. Um, art is subjective like that, I guess. Um, all of that to say, though, I had a really great time talking to Vicky, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. I know I've been getting a lot of messages and emails lately talking about how everyone enjoys kind of the shift in the show and how it's just a conversation now and how they're getting more out of some of their favorite artists uh, versus just, you know, well, tell me about the record. What was it like recording it? You know, all those kind of things. So without further ado, let's uh, kind of start wrapping this episode up. Um, I didn't want to bore you with more Batman information. Uh, <laughs> that was really fun at the end. Talking about Batman, uh, I, that is one of my favorite, uh, probably, comic book properties uh, over the last, my whole childhood, really. Um, but truth be known, I've always been more of a Robin person. Which, uh, depending on which comic you follow, Robin ends up becoming Batman. So, there's that. Uh, that was also one of my favorite books growing up was uh, the Nightfall book, uh, where basically the events of what happened in the third Batman with Bane, that essentially set up um, Nightwing, as he was known at the time, to become Bruce, or become Batman. And then when Bruce got healed up, there was a fight over who got to be Batman anymore. Um, really cool. I'm, I love a lot of that shit. I don't think a lot of people know that I, I'm as into those things as I am. So sometimes when I get to slip into some, some kind of nerdish territory, I, I always take the uh, time to do such. But if you would like to keep up with The Agonist, uh, it's simple enough. Just go to theagonist.com. Facebook is at The Agonist Official. Instagram is at The Agonist Official. And Twitter is just The Agonist. If you would like to keep up with Vicky, you can find her on Instagram and Twitter at her name. I'm going to try to say it. I think it's Vicky Parsakis, P-S-A-R-A-K-I-S. She's also on Twitch, as is the band, um, quite a bit. So you can find them on Twitch. Uh, going through rehearsals right now, it looked like uh, as of yesterday when I was kind of keeping up on some of the stuff they're doing. Uh, also loved a little bit about Twitch. Uh, you obviously heard how I felt about that and, and Vicky as well. But I think Twitch is a great thing, a great community. Uh, I would love to see more people being that inclusive uh, in the real world of things and music. But we shall see. Uh, anyway, if you would like to keep up with this podcast, simple enough, brucebeakpod.com is the landing page for everything. Uh, also want to thank my wife, uh, speaking of not landing anywhere, but we just, uh, actually, actually we did just land. We landed, uh, back here in Michigan uh, a couple of days ago, uh, from our trip in Buffalo. And I did a whole Patreon episode, uh, of called what I learned from a podcast, uh, about my time in Buffalo. So if you would like to go subscribe to patreon.com slash brucebeakpod.com. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you'll get to unlock a couple extra podcast episodes, including the What I Learned from a Podcast, and uh, all the money supports uh, myself and a lot of the costs associated with doing the podcast. But uh, BruceSpeakPod.com is a landing page for everything. And the, what I was going to say is my wife uh, got me back on these Mexican Cokes in the glass bottle. Uh, never really had them, didn't really fuck with them too much, but uh, I definitely got to say I'm a fan. And I think glass bottles are... Uh, Kind of the way to go for beverages. I know I enjoy a beer out of the glass bottle, so uh, it would stand to make sense that glass bottles with pop in them or soda, whatever, uh, would be equally as good. And uh, yeah, you know what else is equally as good? Our show sponsors, Bean Bastard. It was actually really great getting to go to the brick and mortar and talking to Maruso for about an hour uh, while I was there. That was great. Uh, go to thebeanbastard.com, pick up some coffee. On Point Pomade, use our code BSP15, save 15% off your total purchase order. And last but not least, rockabilia.com. You can go over there and use our code Brutally and take 10% off your total order. And last but not least, thank you for listening to this episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am John. We'll see you next week where our episode's guest is Lena Scissorhands of Infected Rain. We'll talk to you then.